Hey everyone, this is Pastor James. Welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. Today, at the request of our Wednesday night crowd, we are beginning the book of 2 Corinthians as Paul continues to minister to this struggling church and he continues to defend his right as an apostle so he can lovingly guide them to be the men and women that God has called them to be. But before we begin reading in this uh, in this epistle, I always like to do an introduction of the book because I think that it helps us understand it a little better as we read it. Uh, it gives insight to clues, um, different things and themes as we read it. And overall, just knowing the background helps me personally to understand what I'm reading so much better. So let's start with that today. That's what we're going to do. We're just going to give you some background information on the book of 2 Corinthians before we begin. And I hope you enjoy this as we get started. The 2 Corinthians is actually the fourth letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians. Uh, most people just assume that it's the second letter because it's 2 Corinthians, but it's actually the fourth. And we discussed this a little bit during our study of 1 Corinthians. So the first letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, we just don't have a written copy of it. Um, that's why the, the second letter is called 1 Corinthians is because we don't have the first letter. Uh, we know this because 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 references the very first letter that Paul sent. And then Paul wrote a third letter in between 1 and 2 Corinthians that we also do not have. Um, now, different theologians, you know, they think and they debate on different things like, oh, it might be included in one of the letters. But we're, we're pretty positive that we don't have that letter because... Um, this letter is mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3-4, through 4, and we'll read that and talk about it later on and go into a little more detail about it. But um, it, it's, uh, it's referred to as the, the letter of tears, the letter of sorrow. I mean, it was a really, it was a really painful letter for Paul to write. I mean, there was some really hardcore stuff that happened while Paul was visiting with the Corinthians on his second visit with them. And um, it was just a really ugly thing. So Paul writes that third letter, um, and it just has some really hard stuff in it. And we'll talk more about that later on. So, so just know that 2 Corinthians is actually the fourth letter that Paul writes to these churches. Now, remember that at the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul was going to send Timothy to minister to the churches in Corinth on his behalf. And Paul was going to come at a later time and hopefully stay all winter long. But when Timothy arrived on Paul's behalf, he found out that everything going on in these churches uh, was not getting better. It was actually escalating and uh, it was not being resolved at all. And this resulted in Paul coming immediately to address the issues in person. And so he wouldn't be able to stay long as long as he wanted because he had other things that he was trying to do and accomplish during that time. Uh, and there was um, some very unfortunate things that happened during this uh, visit uh, as Paul comes in very quickly. Some, some really unfortunate things happened. We'll talk about those later on. But uh, he would leave Corinth and go on to Macedonia as originally intended and then come back and visit again as he was going to Jerusalem. So... Paul really thought that he would be received well um, during this second visit, but he was sadly mistaken. In chapter 2, we see that Paul is attacked uh, by, by the people of Corinth, especially one man in particular. We'll talk about him uh, as we study the book of 2 Corinthians. And 
these people, and especially this one individual, questions Paul's apostleship. Uh, they even begin to question the gospel, and this, this teacher that has come in, this false teacher, has led people astray, and many of the people in the churches in Corinth had begun to follow this new teaching, this false gospel, and Paul was severely outnumbered by these people. Um, this, this false teacher had done something that was very hurtful to Paul. Um, again, we'll talk about that later on. But anyway, it was just kind of a, a fiasco. And so Paul was not defended by the people there who claimed to stay true to the gospel, who claimed to uphold him as an apostle. And so Paul quietly left. We'll talk more about that later on. But because the stay was meant to be short um, due to the necessity of other visits anyway, Paul decided to leave with the intention of returning again at a later time. Um, the false teachers attributed Paul leaving to him being scared and defeated, but as Paul explains in chapter 1, that uh, he did suffer humiliation, but he chose not to retaliate in order to show mercy and love to the people. So as Paul leaves Corinth and he returns to Ephesus, this is when he sends Titus back with this third letter that we don't have. And uh, this is referred to as the Tier 4 Painful Letter. And this letter was comprised of Paul warning the Corinthians of God's wrath uh, if they refuse to repent and return to the true gospel that has been preaching from the beginning. Uh, Titus was supposed to deliver this message and then return to Paul in Troas to give him a report. But when Titus is delayed, Paul is absolutely worried to death about his safety and uh, Paul immediately leaves Troas to check on Titus. So as he was on his way to Corinth, when he reached uh, Macedonia, he actually met up with Titus in Macedonia, who was alive and well, and he gave the news that his letter was actually very effective to causing the majority of the Christians in Corinth to repent and turn back to the true gospel. But there were still a small group of people who continued on in their rebellion against the gospel and against Paul. And so as a result, this is when Paul begins to write 2 Corinthians. Okay, so Paul is in Macedonia. It's after his second visit with the church in Corinth. It's actually after his third letter um, that has a huge impact on the people. And he hears this good news, and so he writes, he begins to write 2 Corinthians, which we're about to begin uh, next week. We'll begin reading that scripture and studying it and breaking it down. So, <coughs> excuse me, Paul writes this letter somewhere near the end of 55 AD uh, or 56 AD. You know, it's like time's kind of hard to figure out according to these things. I mean, you can look at different missionary journeys of Paul and different things that happened in history to kind of nail down a date, but we know it was somewhere between 55-56 AD. And about a year or so had passed since he had written the, the letter that we have of 1 Corinthians. And so uh, something you need to know is that 2 Corinthians is written fairly different from 1 Corinthians. Now, in 1 Corinthians, Paul was acting a lot more as a pastor. He's providing guidance. He's teaching the true gospel. Um, he's lovingly guiding these young Christians into truth. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul is uh, viciously defending the gospel and defending himself. And he does this in a lot of different ways. Now, this epistle of 2 Corinthians reveals a lot about Paul's godly character. And, and it isn't that he, he states 
his godly character. But if you read, you can see his godly character in the words that he shares with these Corinthian believers. And Paul, he refers to himself as a simple and non-extravagant clay pot. I mean, he, he doesn't believe that there's anything special about him, but constantly refers to himself as <clears throat> the least of the apostles. He has an immense amount of concern for the believers and, and wants all of them to repent and to be reconciled to the Lord. And, and he doesn't hold how they treated him over their heads. You know, especially the, the individual that insulted him so much in his second visit, he doesn't hold that over his head. He doesn't call him to be punished or anything like that. But Paul's goal is always to bring these people to Christ. And so his goal is to lead even the people who are still rebelling and this false teacher who is still kind of trying to fight against Paul, bring them back into good standing with the church, bring them back into good standing with Christ. So in this book, we, uh, we see a lot more of Paul's personal life. Uh, his experiences, his sufferings, and his victories in a lot of ways. Um, Paul talks about boasting a lot in this book, which is kind of interesting. Now, boasting is mentioned 31 times, and it's not mentioned because he has anything to boast about, because Paul is very clear that he has nothing to boast about. Um, you know, like I said, he refers to himself as kind of this this clay pot that's not valuable, but um, you know, God has chosen to use this ordinary thing for such a wonderful purpose. But, um, but what was happening is, is that these false teachers were coming in and they were bragging about how they were better than Paul and they were better than the other apostles and they were trying to change the gospel. And so basically, uh, they kind of began this ego contest. And so when Paul writes 2 Corinthians, uh, he he spends a little bit of time uh, talking about all the things that he has experienced in his journey with Christ. And he can easily best them in all areas of following the Lord. And he makes that pretty plain. Now, uh, Paul reveals in this letter that some of the men in Corinth had accused him of being a coward and of being weak. And they said that he was bold in his writing, but unwilling to show face and stand man to man. You know, it's kind of this uh, machismo thing, this 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 macho thing. And uh, to think of Paul as weak would be one of the greatest misconceptions that you could have. I mean, Paul was incredibly. Um, he was an incredibly influential person. He was known for turning cities upside down. Like when you read the apostles, or I'm sorry, the epistles. And you begin to study the life of Paul, basically everywhere he went, um, it was either a great revival, like people got saved, churches got started, or the city was turned upside down in a riot to get rid of him and run him out of town. I mean, he was stoned to death, and or not stoned to death, he was stoned, they thought he was dead, they threw him outside the city in the garbage dump. Um, he had to escape many times from uh, people trying to kill him. Uh, so it was either like a church got started and a lot of people got saved or basically they ran him out on the rail. And he was never considered weak by anyone else that we know of. And I think that's really important for you to understand as we're looking at this book. Like, yeah, these people are accusing Paul of being weak and being a coward, but there's never any indication from any other literature that we have that indicates Paul as being weak. Paul was probably one of the most domineering people 
that you would have ever met, and he probably had to work really hard on being humble. And perhaps this is why when Christ called him in Acts chapter 9, verse 16, and Christ said that he would show Paul how much he must suffer for him, Paul was a very capable man before Christ called him. Paul had a lot of talents, um, but when Christ called him, Paul had to suffer a great deal for Christ after that call. And a lot of that was probably to keep Paul humble and remind him that he had to lean on the Lord in a lot of different ways. But it was always suffering that Paul had to be willing to endure as he followed the calling that was placed on his life. And that's really important to understand. Paul suffered a lot in his ministry. Now, as he writes, Paul also reveals a lot about his personal life. Um, There are things mentioned in 2 Corinthians that are not mentioned anywhere else in the Scriptures. And his escape from Damascus in a basket, uh, being caught up into the third heavens, having the thorn in his flesh, and, and... other unusual sufferings, those are things mentioned in this book that we don't find anywhere else. We don't have any other literature, any other uh, parts of the Bible or any other uh, secular literature that we have that speaks of any of those things. So this is kind of a unique perspective into Paul's life. Um, So he had never revealed these to anyone else, but in this letter he chooses to reveal them uh, because he felt that it was time to defend his relationship with Christ and all the wonderful things that God had done in him and how God had affirmed him as an apostle. So he wasn't bragging, but there was a need to show the special relationship that he had with the Lord and the special calling that was on his life. He was an apostle. And these men, and you know, some of the men of Corinth and then this false teacher was still trying to deny him of that recognition. And that's a really important theme that you need to understand as we're reading this book that is going on. So because this letter is so personal, um, it's really become one of the favorite epistles of Christian readers. Uh, People love to hear personal stories, and we love... Uh, to find out how people in the Bible were just regular people like us and they struggled and they suffered like we do. And so as Paul writes this letter, this is probably one of the most um, easily identifiable epistles that we read of Paul. Because usually Paul is so strong and so good and he does such amazing things and he's always doing the right thing and saying the right thing. It's kind of hard to compare yourself with him and kind of identify with him. But in this letter, as you see, his suffering, his thorn in his flesh, this this kind of like fact that, hey, he got really insulted and, and hurt by this man in front of the church and the church didn't defend him and he left sadly. And this letter is kind of a response to all that in a way. Um, It's really neat to see Paul in more of a human uh, form, just like you and I in this. And this is one of the reasons why a lot of people enjoy this book, is because we can identify with Paul, uh, unlike most of his other writings. Like, this is just so much easier to identify with. So, he is not bragging, but he's using these illustrations to gain validity with the people so that he can call them to repentance. Remember, Paul's goal is to see these people grow in their relationship with Christ and to enter into eternal life. 
And he wants them to repent. He wants them to have right standing with God. He cares about them. He loves them. And this is all that Paul wanted. He, he wanted these last few people and the, these false teachers to repent and return to the true gospel of Christ. And this is why he's continuing to write them. He's continuing to pour out himself to him and to be vulnerable to him. Because Paul is risking the... the uh, possibility of going back and being insulted and hurt again so um as we get ready to start this book you know i just kind of want to say this if you're suffering if you're facing persecution if you're just just discouraged in your faith this book this epistle is going to be a wonderful uh passage to read from it's a reminder that god is faithful that he has a plan through all these things, through all situations, through all circumstances, and all oppositions. God is faithful, and he can provide. Even though this epistle is very personal and intimate, as it deals with a lot of Paul's uh, relationship with these people, and uh, a lot of uh, things in his own personal life, it's still very full of theological truths that are very, very applicable to our lives today. Now, Paul gives wonderful, amazing explanation of the New Testament covenant and how it replaces the Old Testament covenant. So, I don't know if you've ever like looked at me like Old Testament, New Testament, like, oh, that's cool, that the Bible's divided up in halves. But no, actually, like Paul really explains why the New Testament covenant has replaced the Old Testament covenant. Like, when we read the Old Testament scriptures, they are still applicable to our lives, but the law that those people lived by has been replaced by the covenant and blood of Jesus Christ. And Paul gives an amazing explanation of that in this book, and it's only rivaled by the explanation of it in the book of Hebrews. And so that's important to understand that we have this amazing explanation we're going to get to read through and see how God has used the blood of Christ to replace the Old Testament covenant, and how Paul just really explains that very well in shorthand form. Now, um, this book's going to be a lot of fun. I encourage you guys to keep on listening over the next several weeks. Uh, next Wednesday, we will be covering chapter one, and we'll see how far we can get. So I hope you guys join us for all the fun. Let's pray together, and I'll let you guys go for this week, and hope you have a great time, a great week, and hopefully Lord's doing some good stuff in your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day, for all the many blessings you've given us. Thank you for this time together. God, I pray that you would speak and work and move in our hearts and lives. Jesus, I pray that you would watch over us and protect us and guide us. Help us to live for you, to serve you. Jesus, I pray that you would speak into our hearts as we move into 2 Corinthians and we study this book over the next several weeks. God, give us wisdom and insight and understanding in all these things. Help us to always look to you for the truth. Help us to always seek your face and to be humble and to um, allow you to work and move in us the way that you want and the way that we need. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all these things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in for another week. We love you. We're praying for you. Um, if you can't join us on campus for our 9 a.m. service or 11 a.m. service, we invite you to watch us on Facebook or YouTube and listen to the podcast. As always, we love you. We're praying for you. Hope you have a great week.